Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Charles Anderson. Charles is the co-founder of a company called Arrow, and he caught my attention on LinkedIn through something that I'm actually quite passionate about. I really think that there is a big gap in the market when it comes to sales and marketing related software in the equipment rental industry, because there's plenty of CRM solutions out there like Salesforce and HubSpot and Zoho. However, none of them are really tailored for the equipment rental industry or understand the equipment rental industry. So I did a little bit of research because I wanted to just see what Arrow was all about. And it turns out that they're actually quite passionate about rental and they're working with some pretty big dealership brands like Bobcat and John Deere and JCB and Caterpillar. So I figured... Why not actually learn about who Charles is? Because I think this is really important to to figure out, is there new technology? Is there technology that's pushing the boundaries a little bit? And I think if there's a new software that's purely designed to help the rental industry and it's modern technology, we should be promoting it. So Charles, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, Can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? Sure. Uh, Happy to be here. Thanks again for having me as a guest. Real, real privilege and honor. Um, I know this is such a popular uh, podcast and it's hard to find opportunities to speak directly into the rental industry. So thank you for this opportunity. So originally I started in the equipment financing industry. So the the last company that I was was with, I was brought on as a CEO of a company called Currency or, or Currency Pay. Uh, companies now now bought and I'm no longer uh, working with that business, but we started back in 2012 thinking really hard about the problem of financing. And as we know, most of the assets in the rental market are financed in one way or another. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about how do we deliver a financial product that makes it really easy to buy and sell equipment because the rental company has to buy equipment before they rent it out. And underneath that is a math of financing. And that kind of got us exposure and I was blown away. So the first thing I did when I started with currency back in 2012 is I took the portfolio data from 2009 to at that time, 2011 through the great recession. And I broke down all the numbers and I wanted to see like which companies performed the best through the financial crisis. And I mean, spoiler alert, it was the rental industry. So I was blown away that through the financial crisis, what you would think would be one of the most sensitive uh, categories to uh, to a recession, at least in our portfolio, the rental market performed incredibly well. And as I've had years now to think about why and look at all the anecdotal data and figure out like why why did these rental businesses, um, at least in our portfolio, perform really well through the recession? I think that rental businesses are so accustomed to operating with, I'll say, short term leases that they have to be great operators. They have to be really careful with every single dollar. That be incredibly efficient. and be incredibly organized. So I first got into the rental industry really a decade ago when I uncovered how good their math was through the recession, which led us to say, okay, how do we offer financing to rental companies to help them buy more inventory? Because they, if they perform well in a recession, they have to perform well not in a recession. So that was a long way around that I've been thinking about the rental space and not just the rental space, the transaction underlying the rental companies. Uh, and I've been blown away with how sophisticated these operators are for uh, many years now. 
Wow. So it sounds like you've got a bit of an analytical mind as well. Do you, some of the things you're talking about there were pretty interesting. So like, what was, what's your background originally? <laughs> um, uh, it's funny that you say that. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever said that to me before. So I born and raised in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area up in, in Northern California. Grew up in a, an underprivileged way. And um, for me, uh, money was always critical. Like money was always top of mind. Money was always critically important. And so I think I don't have a naturally analytical mind, but when it comes to, to dollars, that's been more of a path to like survival. And so when it comes, I, I think in terms of money first, because that's always been super interesting and super important. So it's interesting that you say that actually. Uh, true story, kind of embarrassing story, a little bit of a, of a humble brag. Um, but I love telling this story. Um, I was very fortunate to go to Stanford Business School to get my MBA. I'm very proud of that. I got in after the third round. And if you're not familiar with what that means, basically you get in after you're supposed to. And so it was an exception to the rule. So I was crazy excited that when I had an opportunity to sit down with the woman who put my resume on the stack and said, I think we should let this, this kid in. Um, I had a chance to sit down with her. You asked the question that um, you really shouldn't ask, which is why me? It's kind of like asking your significant other, hey, why do, why do you really like me? Why do we really get married? And so I asked that, this woman, um, why did you give me an opportunity to go to such a, a prestigious school, a Stanford Business School? And she said, uh, well, you were much less sophisticated than your peers. Well, that's kind of how she started. And she said, but you had traveled great distances, which was the backhanded compliment. Uh, but it's funny whenever I hear something like that, oh, you're kind of analytical. I go back to that comment saying that uh, comparative to my peers, I don't think I'm that analytical. But when it comes down to the tiny details around a transaction, specifically involving money, my brain just does kind of understand that. I think because I've been thinking about that um, since a very, very early age. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, that's quite interesting. Well, I think you'd have to be a little bit analytical to work for a company that's called Currency in the past. <laughs> <laughs> it just means we're good at marketing. That's all it means. That's it. So, so what happened after Currency then? Well, it was a successful, uh, successful story. Um, we started as an equipment finance broker, converted the business to be a payments and financing platform. Uh, really one of the, the first, if not only, company that figured out a way to effectively be the PayPal of the industry. Our first big customer was eBay. And we watched the company grow like wild and we bet really big on technology. And that was, was a lot of good that came from that. Uh, ultimately, we sold the business to a, a private equity fund. Uh, and uh, the way I like to tell the story is um, three years later, they, uh, they gave me the opportunity to start over, which means that they, they fired me and fired my co-founder of Arrow, um, Logan. So uh, three years later, they, they fired us. Um, Currency is now owned by the, the Sandals company. So it's well known um, business and I'm happy to see Arrow, or sorry, Currency continue to survive. Um, but when Logan and I were, uh, were fired from Currency, we weren't done playing the game yet. And we've been thinking about this problem, this problem of how do you move a piece of equipment from point A to point B in conjunction with moving money from point B to point A? To me, that's, that's all that rental is. I'm not trying to dismiss the complexity that goes behind a transaction, but like moving a machine from here to there while moving payment from there to here and doing it again and again and again as smoothly as possible. I just, I love that problem. It's so fascinating to me because underneath that are people's jobs, are people's livelihoods, 
our construction projects that need to keep going. And it all kind of hinges on really that, that last mile of availability to make sure that the machines show up when they need to show up. But that can't happen until the payment shows up when it needs to show up. But that can't happen until the technology shows up when it needs to show up. So I just, I really enjoy like that complexity of like smooth out my deal, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was a long answer to your question, but they all started, you know, 10 years ago now. Yeah. The thing that I've heard from other guests, and, and I completely agree with them, the, the unique thing I like about the equipment rental industry is that it's not like you're just in one job. So the example I had was uh, if you work for a, a general rental business, for example, they typically have divisions and things like that. If you want to specialize in like aerial access, or if you wanted to specialize in material handling, or if you wanted to specialize in transport, or if you wanted to specialize in service, like you can literally pick like departments that are completely separate industries that are all built up into one industry as well. And I think that's something I find quite unique. And, and to example, like, let's just say that your passion is transport and, and logistics and making sure that things get there on time. That's like one of the biggest things with the equipment rental industry, making sure that someone provides the service to get the machine from, as you said, point A to point B on time. Yes. Uh, and yeah, the same thing happens with um, yeah service as well. Like if you have, if you're passionate about service and you want to maintain a fleet, you can join the equipment rental industry and do the same thing. You don't have to just work as a mechanic your whole life. Yep. I don't know. I, I think timing is so important with all of this. It's so critical to make sure that you, in a timely manner, have access. Because if we had perfect information, there would be no need for the rental industry in theory. Like if you if you knew well in advance that you were going to do X number of projects over the next 20 years, you could plan out your budget perfectly. That's fake news. That doesn't happen. And so if if you could get timing perfectly, you have so much flexibility to have more options. But without being able to get timing perfectly, which never happens, then you need the excess capacity in, in a lot of ways, which to me is why this is such a cool and dynamic industry. Mm, for sure. So so talk to me about what is the purpose of Arrow and then what made you decide to start the company? Like, let's walk through that, those steps. Sure. Um, I think I can tell the story. So we had a, we had a call with, a, and I think this kind of gets to the purpose of Arrow. We had a call with a very large um, rental company, one of the largest in the world, so you can, you can guess it and who it might be. And the person who um, makes the decisions on which systems uh, they use and it was so interesting that the presentation went, um, in my opinion, incredibly well. And um, very nice things were said to me about Arrow. And they were, they're using Salesforce. I don't mind mentioning that, using Salesforce right now. Um, and when I asked the obvious question, it's like, okay, well, can you work with Arrow? Like everything like froze basically. And it had nothing at all to do with what the right business system was for the salesperson. And it had everything to do with there's so much momentum of doing things in a certain way that it's just really, really hard to change. And so the reason why we created Arrow is exactly that, that reason is that we think there's an easier way to use technology. We think that there shouldn't be a freeze moment when someone has to think about doing something in a better way. We think that salespeople, specifically the ones communicating with the customer, the ones smoothing out that timing, should be able to text and email and search 
and chat and do everything they do in every other aspect of their life at work. To me, it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable that everything else in your life is digital, but when you go to work, it operates in 2000. It's unreasonable to me that the best CRMs that are out there today, which are good CRMs, once you get to critical mass and scale, are not built for the end user. And so we created Arrow because we believed that if we focused on the customer experience and we solved for that first, and I would measure that as how you communicate, how you move things from point A to point B, how you move money from point B to point A. If you get those things right, then the rest takes care of itself. And I'm dismissing a lot of things that have to happen in order to get that right. But we think that people are already using systems to make it really easy to text, really easy to email, really easy to have internal communication. They're doing it in a very hodgepodge way because there's so much momentum of doing it in a way that is frankly pretty painful. We're just kind of used to it. Yeah, something I like to talk about is the changing of the guard. So the next generation of leaders are coming through into every industry, not just equipment mm-hmm. rental. But the equipment rental industry has typically been quite slow at taking up new technology. And if I'm a general manager or if I'm a, a future president or if I'm a future branch manager, whatever my role is, and I'm used to having everything at my fingertips, I'm used to doing things fast. And then I come into a business where I got to use a green screen. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> That's like yes. a big slap in the face. It's like, what are you, what's yes. going on here? I'm, or I paper. Pull, yeah. Oh, you're that's using, even worse. You're, yeah. You're, why are you using paper? Because like, that's normal still. That's expected. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. But yeah, like, I, like man, the, the, the 20-somethings to 30, early 40-somethings, just, they just expect technology to do things that, that others don't. But I got to tell you, and um, this is uh, obviously a plug for Arrow at the moment. Um, I love watching people who are 50 and older use Arrow for the first time because they do need to be explained once how to use it, never twice. Once they're explained once on how to use it, they get it because they're using it on Facebook. They're using it on LinkedIn. They're using it in other aspects. Of, they're using it when they're communicating with their kids. They're using it already. They just have to flip the switch that, oh, I can use best-in-class technology that I use in every other aspect of my life. I'm texting photos, I'm texting, I'm emailing over videos. I'm doing all that, but I can finally do it at work with my customers that I'm already, by the way, texting outside of my systems because the systems don't allow me to do that today. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. It's like, you, how many times do you learn how to use Facebook? It's It just happens, yeah? And I guess that's right. the sort of the type of... Uh, product you've tried to build uh, or have built to, to roll out into the industry as well. So that's quite interesting to, to hear that analogy. So so then taking the other side of the fence then, like what are the, the common challenges that you think salespeople in the equipment rental industry typically face when they're not using a CRM or they're in a more of a manual environment? Oh, good question. Um, well, um, on one hand, they found a way to make it work without a CRM. So I really haven't seen um, many examples of salespeople being excited about using a CRM. I've seen examples of salespeople learning how to use a CRM in order to report their output metrics to their, their boss or maybe in order to get leads. So I've seen examples of people using the technology. I've never seen an example of a salesperson saying, man, I just love X, Y, and Z system. And the system actually helps me do my job better. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges that um, I would say most salespeople face, including salespeople in the rental industry, is 
a CRM is a liability, not an asset. Like when you hear the word CRM, it makes you groan. Like you don't, you don't hear CRM and do backflips. You're like, ah, you mean the thing that my boss uses to keep track of me? Like that, that's probably like the biggest challenge is like most salespeople have found ways to be successful in today's environment because they are successful despite their tools, not because of their tools. And I think that's the one big challenge that as technology makes information more readily available, deals move faster. When deals move faster, there's more competition. When there's more competition, margin and prices come down. The only way to really balance that out is have technology to allow humans to do more. But if, if that equation's off, if technology isn't allowing you to do more, then everything else is getting harder without technology making your life easier. So at a I don't know, 30,000 foot view, that's probably what I'd say is technology needs to make things easier. And in my experience, it's not yet. I mean, arrow aside, it's not doing that for our salesperson. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. I think a lot of people, when they think of a CRM, they've done all the hard work. And then at the end of the day or whatever it is like, oh, I've just got to enter this information in. So it updates the dashboard <laughs> to, to make sure that yes. everyone knows that I've done hard work. Yes. Not that I have yeah. done hard work, just to know that I've done hard work. And yeah. And then, oh, I forgot to enter in that that lead or I forgot to enter in that. And yeah, it just yeah. becomes this, number, uh, this painful experience. The number of salespeople who have told me that they block off Fridays to update their CRMs. Like I, I've probably heard that 30 times in the last year. You like you lose 20% of your week to update your CRM. It's necessary because you do need to update your CRM. I mean, you do need to communicate that to your boss. But like, what happened if you got 20% of your week back? Like how much more in revenue could you generate? Mm, definitely. So, so that's probably like one of the, the uh, I completely agree with one of the main challenges. And I, and I think it is like trying to, how do you keep the CRM up to date? And I guess how, how is Arrow different then? Oh, I love that question. No data entry. No data entry. So if I'm speaking to the salesperson right now, I would say we built Arrow for you. Our customer is the salesperson. It's not the executive. It's not the person watching your numbers. Sorry, it'd be easier sales pitch if I said that's who we built it for, but that's not. We built it for the salesperson and we built it for the salesperson to enjoy selling again. Selling and moving and moving deals from point A to point. It's fun. It feels good to deliver a machine right when your customer needs it on time at the price point that works. It feels good selling and closing deals. It feels good moving machines. And we think that that, becomes really sad when you can't enjoy the sport of being a salesperson anymore. And so part of what we're trying to do is make that fun again, make that a game again and make it an enjoyable experience because you're already on your smartphone. I mean, when I used to speak at conferences uh, five, probably like six, seven years ago and ask people to hold up their, their phones, probably like half the room was smartphones and the other half were flip phones or, or something else. Today, I, I haven't seen it. And maybe like 90% of the time, 95 people have some sort of smartphone device. And so what I would say is like, hey, like we built the system for you. I think you're going to enjoy using this system. How do I know that? Don't you have a smartphone in your pocket? Do you like using your smartphone? Are you addicted to your smartphone like the rest of us? Yes. Well, not that we want you to be addicted to work, but at least want you to enjoy uh, work again. Yeah, you want the, the tool to empower that person to do better at their job, not not be that chain behind them, dragging them along on the ground. I think that's probably what most people think of a CRM. They think, oh, geez, here we go. It's just this ball and chain that I'm dragging right. around with me all day just to make sure that it keeps up to date. It's, uh, it sounds like it's more about empowering the, the person 
to, to do their job better and, and communicate better with their, their customers. And enjoy it. Like, I, I really mean that. Like, we genuinely think selling is fun. It really, if you believe in your product, selling is really fun. And we think that this is a tool, Arrow, that makes selling fun again. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So, so with most equipment rental businesses, there's, there's a sales component to selling equipment. And then there's also a component of obviously renting equipment. And mm-hmm. a lot of businesses started out only just selling equipment. And then they realized one day, hey, wait, I can actually rent this machine and people will learn it for like 12 months and I'll make more money than I'll ever make in terms of the ROI on the machine when I sell it. So, so more and more dealerships in, in particular I think Cat Caterpillar, for example, like they've got a huge budget to try yep. and roll out more and more rental among their networks uh, yep. and, their, and the dealerships, and they're all doing it. Like I know yeah, John Deere is doing a lot more. Um, I spoke to pretty much all manufacturers, and they're all getting into it. Even like Doosan, Bobcat, yep. like they're all pushing it uh, throughout. Even even some of the manufacturers are even having like backup mm-hmm. stock. So like they're like, hey, rent this from us, and you can at a lower rate. And if you ever need a machine, you can just use this machine. Like there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff going out at the moment and yep. it's just booming. And I think uh, I was looking at the stats. So rental, I think uh, 1990 was the, the industry revenues were uh, around 12 to 14 billion. And today they're around 95 billion. And so it's just booming. I think by 2030, it went to be 150 billion. So it's just, it's, going, it's just going crazy, but long-winded question. Like how do, how is, how does Arrow differ from like a salesperson that's selling equipment to a person that's selling rental? How, how does it differ? Sure. Um, it's really simple. Our job is to help move equipment from point A to point B and then from point B to point A as smoothly as possible. So to give you an example, if you sold a piece of equipment and the customer trades it in, in three years, how is that? fundamentally different than a 90 day rental or a six month rental. You completed the transaction, you got your paperwork signed, you exchange payment, you move the equipment out and then you move it back. What Arrow does is smooth out that confusion in the middle. When do you need it delivered? When do you need it picked up? Same question, whether you're selling or renting. What are the hours? What are the hours? Same question. What are the pictures? What are the pictures? Same question. And so for us, we look at it from a software perspective, and it's fascinating to me, the, the fundamentals of how a software company operates are almost the exact same as how a rental company operates. You have super high repeat rate of your customers. You have a very good installed base of your, of your customers. You have, I mean, really, you have month-to-month contracts with all of your customers. We're a month-to-month contract. If, you just, if you don't, we don't add value to you, you fire us and go work with someone else that makes, that makes sense. And if you don't provide quality service, like even if you're selling the equipment, if you're selling the equipment or you're renting the equipment, you still have to provide quality service. Everyone knows, there's no secret that dealerships make most of their money, not rental dealerships, but don't do as well. Your highest margin is on the service. And so the fundamentals of, of a software company versus a rental company versus a dealership that's buying and selling. And just like you said, we have yet to have a customer that doesn't have some element of rental to their business. Even if the, their version of rental is, this machine broke down, I'm going to rent you this equipment while I work on your other machine. It's still rental. And it's just how do you smooth out that movement of the machine and the communication around the movement of the machine and the, and the processing of, of the payment of that? To me, it's the same. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. No, it, it is. I think the element where it gets a bit more complex is when you've got 
historical data linked to that machine. So whether we're talking like service schedules, rental history, um, invoice history, breakdown history, um, just information that relates to that particular asset. So, so the most common thing that I see uh, when, when I talk to people that uh, in the industry is, and, and their, their sales manager will say, all right, before you step on site to that customer, check what they rented last, which it sounds like you could do in Arrow because technically Correct. you've got that, that pipeline. Uh, and then check the rental history and what the rates are and all those sort of things. But check if there's been a recent breakdown and so yes. I can communi communicate that. So I guess there's, there's a few things that are typically held in, let's just call it the, the rental company's ERP, whether it be mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the big rental management systems uh, or service management systems. And so I guess, how does it tie in with that, that integration? Is there any integration or like what's, what's, how does that work? Yes, we're an open platform. We have lots of open available APIs and we have, have the infrastructure in place to capture all the telematics data. Um, and even, and, and I, I, don't, um, I don't mean to oversimplify it because I, that, that information is critical and it's, and it's incredibly valuable uh, from a software perspective. It's, it's a string of, it's a big run on sentence. It's just, it's a big run on sentence that says, this is what happened last with the machine. With, with every single software platform out there, if someone is not triggering that event, if someone's not logging that event, then it's garbage in, garbage out. And so what makes Arrow unique is that because the user experience is so smooth, it's very easy to test and retest the quality of that information that's coming in, whether that's a direct feed from the telematics data that's coming in, um, direct feed from the ERP system, which we can integrate with, or how about just a customer complaint coming in or a customer sends a text message through Arrow and says, hey, my, my thing, I wanted to curse there, it would have been appropriate, my, my, it's not working. Like come in, come and fix this. And that's mm. the qualitative language that you can't capture a lot of times in the ERP because it's not built for that. Uh, a really interesting use case, we had a customer um, say, it was fascinating. And we rolled out this feature because he asked for it. He said, um, our customers need to be able to text us without taking their gloves off because it's cold in the wintertime. Like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I just wanted to bring a full circle to a real world scenario where a customer that's in the field that is cold and doesn't want to take off his work gloves can text their sales rep by just using Siri or using, or using whatever chat feature that they have to then send a message to then kick off a workflow um, back at the service shop to make sure that the customer can get what they need to continue to, to operate. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was I was chatting to someone just last week actually about the CRM and and they were and they were sort of describing what you just said. So that they said what they wish they had was when they open up a customer, all they want to do is see these six things that relate to the customer. Give me a snapshot, tell me the history of this customer so I can look at it for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, scroll yes. through, drill into it, check it. Now I can go yes. on and do my job. And I think that's probably an element where if you've got these open APIs and you can pull data in, technically you're starting to really grow the opportunity for these sales reps to, whether it's um, as I'm pulling disputes on invoices where I'm pulling in this, right. that, I think there's a real big opportunity there to grow that out. And I think right. when you work with a very large CRM, like not putting down Salesforce or anything, but it it's not tailored for the equipment rental industry. It's, it's, it's the yeah. most used sales. It's the most used CRM, but it's it's also the most generic as well. Well, and it's not it's not built for the end user, and it's not built for the salesperson. I think Salesforce is a wonderfully robust, massive program. And if you were that large rental company that I was talking about a few minutes ago, 
perfect fit for you. That makes all the sense in the world because your job is to report to Wall Street. Therefore, you need systems and processes and it is a good investment for your salespeople to spend an entire Friday updating the system because that's how your business operates. I, I, I get that. What I'm saying is that the way the arrow is built, it starts from the customer experience. And it's a question of what critical information do you need in order to do your job? And we always go back to that question, which is why I don't mean to oversimplify it, but to me, it really is as simple as like our job is to make it as smooth as possible, moving a piece of equipment from point A to point B and the payment for that from point B to point A and all of the noise in between there, the paperwork, the insurance, the documentation, the, the logistics, the shipping, all of that should be able to run in a smooth experience. And your customers should be able to raise their hand when they need something. And it should instantly show up as a text, as an alert, as an action. We haven't even talked about the marketing automation that flows in here as well. You can automatically schedule based on activity the customer had, automatically provide an update, send out a text message update, send out a voicemail drop update, send out an email update. But that activity doesn't require any data entry. It's programmed into your business operating style. So if you haven't heard from a customer in 90 days, do you want to rely on your salesperson to remember to call that person? Or do you want a programmatic event that says no activity? Who cares what, what the details of the machine are? This customer hasn't talked to us in 90 days. Something broke. You sent out our survey. Hey, did we piss you off? Mm. What happened? We haven't heard from you in 90 days. We haven't seen any text messages or any calls from you in three months. Tell us why. We yeah. rely on repeat customers. So just trying to reshape. We think about this so hard from the customer perspective first and everything else is secondary, which is different than the market, which sometimes takes a while to mm. really debate that and see if that's the right way to do it. Yeah, well, so many companies don't think about the marketing side. So most companies that I talk to, they've got some type of CRM, whether it's paper, whiteboard, uh, or, or a CRM. And they and then marketing is a separate department that's using MailChimp or mm -hmm. one of these other tools out there. To bring that in together, I think is quite unique as well. And I don't think sales and marketing, I really actually spoke about enough on the same page. Like how, how yes. is marketing helping the sales force do their job better? You know, like obviously they want to, but like they're truly as an integrated serum, I don't think it again, it exists in the equipment rental industry. No, one well, it's, and it's, I, I go back to, it's your customer. Like how does your customer want to interact with you? They need to interact with you. They need your machines. They need your machines to show up in a timely fashion as we continue to talk about. But how do they want to interact with you? If you can solve for that, man, everything else kind of flows in such an easier way. And that's the, the, the hard part about doing that as salespeople is remembering how they want to interact with us. And so we, we're trying to take the remembering off the shoulders of the salesperson and integrate it and build it into the software. So we know there's been no activity on this account in 90 days send a follow-up, hey, how are you doing text message and have the response to that message go back to the salesperson. Mm. But one example. Yeah. Now, look, it's, it's good that you're sort of pushing the boundaries a little bit. And I think there's always going to be people that say, no, nah, it's always been like this. This is the way that the industry has always run. And that's always going to be the case. But all you need is a few people to shout, yep, this is the great way. This is how the company is working differently. And then word spreads pretty quick. <laughs> Well, it's, it's fun. And I, like I said, I, I do love, I love watching people get it. I love watching light bulbs go on. I love watching people realize, oh, I'm already doing this in every other aspect of my life. Why don't I do it at work? Like, I, I love that moment so much. It's very exciting 
to see people using product. Our team has just done such a hell of a hell of a job um, carefully architecting the system in a, in a pretty intuitive way. And it's just fun to watch them. Um, watch, I mean, when we first started, uh, when we first started doing market research, we would go out in the field and we'd sit down with salespeople and we would hand them our phone and we would record them um, using using the app and it's app and desktop based, but we would record them and we would watch where their thumb would intuitively go to click. And then we would ask them, hey, like, what, what did you want to click when your finger went that way? And they'd say, oh, I wanted to go back. And we, we would pick that apart and we had this on video. And we'd go back and we'd study we'd study that. It's like, all right, then that means we're, we're missing something because the system didn't intuitively guide you to the next step. That means we need to think harder about like, what should that experience be from the salesperson's state? So we went like very, very, very brass mm-hmm. tacks. Like, how do we make this an enjoyable experience for the salesperson who already enjoys uses Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even if they don't admit it? Wow. That's a... That's amazing. Yeah, I think you said at the very beginning, often people roll out software based on what IT wants or what the management team wants rather than what the sales and the customer wants. So I think just going to that granular level, I think is pretty impressive just even from a user experience, uh, surveying and research. I think that's probably off to a, a good start if you've gone to that level. Uh, you, can, you can definitely see where the benefit's going to come from the feedback from the sales reps. Yep, yep. It's, uh, it's fun. It's, it's really fun. Yeah. So, so look, we spoke about Arrow a lot. Let's learn a little bit more about you. So who do you think pay, played a big influence as a mentor for you? Uh, you know, I really like, I mean, so many people, my, my life is a life of um, just endless miracles that have happened. Or I just, I can't look at my life and my situation and where I started and where I am today and, and say that uh, that was all my effort that got me here. Um, the way that I, I love how Bill Walsh, the legendary uh, American football coach for the 49ers describes mentorship. I, I subscribe to, which is, um, you kind of have to Frankenstein your mentors and depending on where you are at different stages of life, the things that you need for mentors are, are different. What has been consistent for me is I've always had, um, lots of advisors and lots of mentors very graciously giving me of their time. Um, one, uh, mentor of mine when I was squarely in FinTech was, um, was Greg Gibb. Uh, he's the founder of, of a very large um, fintech company in China. And I, I just learned a lot from him about enjoying the ride. I think that's a very hard and somewhat um, fake thing to say in a lot of ways. And you hear that, oh, just enjoy the ride. And like, what is that? What does that even mean? Um, but I watched him go, I watched him change jobs and build a very large organization over the period, period of about 10 years. and Every time I interacted with him, uh, other than dealing with regulators, he actually was very, was enjoying his job. And it was just fascinating to, to watch him play that out through a pretty hard transition in his life, all the way through growing and becoming a little bit of a celebrity uh, and, and doing things structurally in his life, um, which I would describe as del- like deliberately reading every night for 30 minutes a night and structuring in time with his family. Uh, and, and watching him do that, I just learned a lot about like, how do you enjoy the process of working really hard and building a company and building a business while also, uh, forcing yourself to maintain, I don't even like the word balance, but, um, maintain space for you to do the things that you enjoy to do that keep you uh, evolving and growing in the right direction. So I, I mean, and, and so many mentors, uh, I go on, on for hours about that one. So, so how do you manage being like a, a startup founder? And like having those 
a balance? Like, is that something that you you work on a lot personally? Yes. Um, well, I, I I learned that I have ADHD uh, over the last year of just being home through COVID and a lot of lessons lessons through that. I mean, to find out you have ADHD as an adult is a little bit jarring. And so um, I have to put in a lot of rigid structures to help keep me um, like balanced. Um, and so one thing that I do is I block off my calendar. Uh, I am addicted to my phone. I have it with me everywhere that I go, but I'm pretty rigid about blocking off calendar time for the things that are important to me. So it's, it's the silly example of you put in the big boulders first and then you put in the sand and you put in the water, but uh, I buy that. And so the things that are most important to me, uh, I put in the boulders first uh, and then everything else fills in the gaps. Uh, I genuinely enjoy working. I, I couldn't tell you how many hours I work. I put in a lot of hours, um, but I don't notice it because the things that I am unwilling to negotiate on are already squarely in place um, through rigid kind of management of my calendar. Yeah, no, that's, I love that. I also try and block out bits of my calendar. And, and when I look at someone's calendar and I see that it's completely jam-packed with meetings all day, every day, booked by other people, not booked by you, but booked by other people. It's like, how can you be productive in that day? Like, what are you working on? You're working on other people's things, not mm-hmm. your things. Like, how are you improving, like, your job or your team or your business or whatever it is, if you're constantly just getting booked by other people. And I've, yeah, I've seen many people like do that. And but they, it's almost like they, they get, they get trapped. They get trapped in yep. that, that process and yep. they almost need a new job, unfortunately, to get yep. out of it. It's momentum. Momentum is so powerful. A good momentum, bad momentum. I, I was um, another lifetime. I was a personal trainer in college. And it was, I learned a lot about people and how hard it was to break habits. Like I could sit down with someone and say, wait, so you want to, you want to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. I want to lose 10 pounds. You, what are you doing to lose 10 pounds? I don't know. Are you willing to not have beer and pizza every night? Can you, can you do that just one night a week? Yes. And I'd call them on a Wednesday and I would ask them, are you, are you eating pizza and beer right now? I am. Well, why? But you told me, I don't know. I just can't break. So I, I, I saw first, it is so hard to break habits, even bad habits, especially delicious habits. It's so hard to break those habits. And even with the best of intentions, like you need, like I needed a forcing function. I needed uh, rigid structures. I needed check and balance even to break my habits. It's, it's just, mm. you know, it's momentum. Yeah. It's powerful. Sure. So if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Oh, what age? Let's go back 10 years. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, so 10 years ago, basically at a, a brand new baby company and I had three kids at home under the ages of, uh, under the ages of two. Um, and things are pretty hard for a variety of reasons. Um, I think the advice that I would give myself would be everything's going to be okay. Just keep going. I think that's what I'd say. Just keep going. Everything's going to be okay. And try not to overthink it. Yeah, overthinking is definitely a killer. I think people sometimes, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's very easy to give up if if there's so many external pressures, uh, especially if you're trying to start a company at the same time. That's, a, that's just the yep. compounding uh, 
uh, thing there. So yeah, I think that's 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 really good advice. I think uh, what, what's the percentage of startups that fail? Like it has to be a crazy number. Like it's a ridiculous number. Yeah. I mean, I try not to think about it. <laughs> it, uh, it it stresses me out. But um, I mean, it's it's single digit number that that make it for sure. Wow. That's crazy. Look, I think obviously if you're at your second company, the, the percentages go up significantly. Um, it'd be all the, Is that right? You, you're the analytical guy. Get, get the get the spreadsheets oh, out and calculate. I don't stuff. know. I don't. I don't look at numbers. I can't have any impact over. Like I'm going to put in my max effort, no matter what that math is. So I try not to think about it. Yeah. No, because I'm pretty sure, like, if you go to an angel investor or you go to like a private equity firm or or a VC, and you've already had a successful company, the chances of you getting funding are significantly higher than when you... Yeah. So I think if that math that's works, true. then the math has to work if you're going to start a second company. Yeah, that's that's true. And, and fortunately, Currency was a successful exit. Um, I'm disappointed uh, if, with the long run outcome of the business. I think there was um, a, a lot more a lot more meat on the bone with that company. I think we, we tapped out too early, unfortunately. Um, but that's created an opportunity for Arrow. And, and there's, there is no way, there's no way Logan and I could have created Arrow um, 10, 11 years ago. There's so much complexity in this industry that you just can't understand until you live it. That I, I do tremendously um, value the 10 years of trial, um, trial by fire, I'd say, until we were able to get to the point where I feel like we had enough understanding of the transaction uh, the rental transaction to be able to launch this business. Mm. Nice. All right. Well, if you like the last two questions, and this one's probably going to be a good one then as well. So how do you define success? Dang. Oh. Ah. I think that there's nothing better um, then define satisfaction, contentment and satisfaction. Uh, I think that's such a gift. I think to be content and to be satisfied, uh, is incredibly hard. Um, and I think if you can be content and satisfied, uh, at work, through work, at fa with, with family, at home, um, I just don't think it gets any better than that. Uh, and I think it's, I do believe that it's easier to be content and satisfied at home when you are content and satisfied at work. And I do believe it's easier to be content and satisfied at work when you're making the money you want to make. So I do think it's all interconnected. Um, but also I think a life focused on other people and life focused on service is the X factor that unlocks a lot of that contentment. When you just focus on yourself all day long, you, anyone can pick themselves apart. You see the most beautiful people in the world on TV dissatisfied with their bodies and we're like, how? But when you're focused on other people, just the things that you don't like about yourself, I think are, are more muted. Um, so I think about that question a lot. And I do think that for now, my answer to that question would be contentment is how I'd measure and define success. Awesome. Yeah, the, the way I always, I used to always think about that. Like, why is it like that people that give more than they receive are, are so much happier? And, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the way that I, I, um, I sort of broke it down one day was uh, at Christmas, like I'm more than happy to not receive any presents, but I'm happy to give presents. Like I, I almost mm -hmm. feel better. I feel better. I feel weird when I receive presents. Like it, 
it's that weird feeling yes. where I'm opening it and like, oh geez, like what's going on? But if Everyone's I'm giving, watching you, yeah, but if I give a present, yeah. like I'm always happy. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to see what this person thinks. And there must be some psychology to that because you can apply that Christmas present to anything. Like if you're helping someone start their yep. business, or if you're helping someone uh, with their job, or if you're if you're helping someone get through a hard day, or whatever, whatever it is, it could be anything. Uh, yep. obviously that has some type of uh, chemical reaction in your brain that that sort of triggers dopamine or happiness or, or whatever it might be to to make you feel better so yeah I, I completely or agree if you're building like, software for the for salespeople. Exactly. Like, that, like this is literally like it's so rewarding for us I don't know of any other companies that are as obsessed with the salesperson as we are and it's so rewarding when I sit down with a salesperson and they say oh I love this but our management team will never, never accept something like this. And I can say, well, we've already talked to your management team and they're open to it if you're willing to move forward. Like, I, I just, I love that dynamic. They're like, oh, really? I mean, they, they don't know if we'll use it. Like, yeah, that's the biggest problem is the executive team can't get the sales team to use their freaking CRM. And so yeah. like, that's, what, that's the problem. We're, like, we're trying to marry the two and say, yeah, you can both be satisfied having something that accomplishes what you need for both. Sorry, didn't, I know we were on a different lane, but no, that I love, reminded I love me that. why we're doing this. I love this tangent. It's, uh, it's uh, no, that, that's, that's awesome. Look, I, I can feel your passion. I can feel that you love what you do. And I think anyone that's doing anything in the equipment rental industry that's got, got that sort of passion and uh, mindset, I think is just a great thing for the industry. So so I'm glad that you've uh, come up with this software that's going to be provided. And hopefully, yeah, word gets out and more people learn about it. And if not, just learn how to like select better software as well, not just to always go down the norm, normal route. Just to clarify something you said, uh, I can't say I came up with the technology. I have an amazing co-founder partner who is brilliant at that part of it. I'm good at identifying the opportunity and the, and the challenge and talking to the customers. And he is amazing, different level at translating that into the technical requirements in order to make that make that leap. So I'm, I'm very protective over, uh, that wasn't me. I wish it was, that's not my superpower, but I'm so glad I have a partner like that. Right, team members, that's it. Yes. Team members, very good. All right, Charles, well, this has been fun. Thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. My pleasure, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Artside.